Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey, everyone. Today I have with me Melody Wilding, executive coach, human behavior expert, and author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking, and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. And I'm really excited to have Melody here because I stumbled across Melody's work a long time ago as she was writing in publications like Fast Company, Business Insider, really a lot of different places. I think you've been in Oprah, The Cut, and you've been a coach for leaders and executives of Fortune 500 companies and major organizations. So you've coached people in a lot of different spaces, Melody. And I'm glad that you're joining today because I wanted to dive into your new book. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'd love to get started by sharing a little bit more about how you became a coach and how you ended up in this really pretty niche space. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense now. It feels very synchronous, but certainly the journey to get there didn't, as I think most people realize in their careers. But really getting to this point, the genesis of the book really came from my own personal experiences, as well as my own professional and clinical experiences. Very specifically, I have a background as a licensed social worker and human behavior professor. And so a lot of my early experience was in therapy and was in psychology, neuroscience. I ran a psychology lab at Rutgers for many years, looking at the interaction between our thinking and emotions. And so I have always just had this very natural curiosity about people because all of my life, I have been very sensitive. Of course, I didn't have that language for it when I was younger, but I was always very attuned to my surroundings, very affected by what was going on around me, felt everything very deeply and was a very deep thinker, even from childhood. I think that really thrust me into psychology and also very high achieving. So I was your, you know, stereotypical live to exceed expectations, gold star kid, felt like I followed all of the boxes, ticked every box to be successful. So, you know, did good in school, graduated top of my college class, went on to get my master's from Columbia University in social work. And at that time, it was right after the Great Recession. And so had a lot of very well-meaning mentors and people in my life who said, you should probably go into something that's more secure, higher paying than social work. And being the people pleaser that I am, I said, you know, they're probably right, even though all of my life I have wanted to practice therapy and work with people directly, that's probably the more reasonable route. So I did that. And as I think many leaders and executive ex experience from the outside, it was like I had it all. Lived in a big city, had a great job, promising career path. But on the inside, it felt very different. I felt like I was falling apart. I was frazzled, depleted, restless, just endlessly stressed and constantly feeling like I was at the whim of my emotions. And rather than seeing all of that for what it was, which is a sign that something was off, I just, I kept pushing through it. I kept trying to work more, squashing down all of those feelings and telling myself, work harder. You're just making something out of nothing. Everyone seems to have it together. What is wrong with you? 
and really hit a crisis point where I burned out very severely to the point where I was having heart palpitations, my hair was falling out. That was really my rock bottom. That was a wake up moment to see that not only had I neglected my well-being, my personal goals, my needs, I had let other people's judgments and expectations consume me. And probably most of all, I had let my sensitivity really go completely unmanaged and unleveraged. It was really that turning point moment that was a wake-up call to take all of the tools I had from my clinical experience and my educational background and use them on myself. And luckily during this time, I was also building my coaching practice on the side and seeing this constellation of challenges, things like the high achievement, overworking, stress, self-doubt, burnout, lack of boundaries, that sort of the intersection of the sensitivity piece and the striving piece, seeing that with my clients and flash forward 10 years and really felt called to put all of that methodology into a book because no one has identified this personality type before, but it's one in five people. So there is a great deal of research on sensitivity. And we know that about 20% of the population has this genetic trait difference. And so this is yourself, this is someone you know, or that you work with, but we really haven't had a language to understand what it means to be both highly sensitive and high achieving. So much to unpack there, right? You just mentioned Mm -hmm. it's a genetic trait, 20% of people having this genetic trait, which genetic trait are you referring to? So the trait of high sensitivity, Dr. Elaine Aaron, she is the original researcher who has done this work, and she has found that high sensitivity is an evolutionary difference that about 20% of the population has evolved to have because back in the day, back in prehistoric times, it was very useful to have someone who had a more highly attuned nervous system who startled more easily, who was perceptive and aware and more affected by the environment around them, who paused and was thoughtful before they acted and didn't just run into danger unbeknownst for what was there. So it was evolutionarily very beneficial to have this trait of high sensitivity, which is why it's persisted in part of the population. What's really neat is that So much of the neurological research on sensitivity shows that sensitive people have different brain patterns. So we have greater activation in certain parts of the brain that are related to things like planning for action, attention, concentration, and the social parts of the brain. The parts of the brain are mirror neurons, which are the neurons that allow us to understand, to be empathetic to other people's behavior, we have more active mirror neurons. So that is why we're highly empathetic. We understand and pick up on behavioral nuances. So it is, it's a very real thing, but also a challenge because it's invisible. It's fascinating because that word sensitivity, I of course read your book. And one of the things you mentioned toward the very end is that some publishers didn't really think that this was a thing that people wanted to talk about. And I can imagine that it starts to get into stereotypes around gender, right? Women being more sensitive and men being less sensitive. Before we keep going, and we're definitely going to unpack a lot of this, what have you seen from a gender standpoint with people identifying as male or female and how that relates to their willingness to call this sensitivity versus something else? 
Yeah, you're 100% right that there's a nature piece. So we have just sort of the biological facts here, but then we have the nurture piece, which is upbringing, conditioning, gender norms and expectations. And so for women, well, let me back up that there is actually no evidence that points to one gender being more sensitive than the other. What researchers have found is that they're pretty equal and that actually young boys, so infant boys actually tend to be more sensitive, quote unquote, in that they startle more easily, cry more easily when they're infants than girls. And so that's a really interesting fact. But yeah, in terms of the gender norms for women, I think so many times, maybe you have experienced, but certainly I have, our emotionality can get weaponized against us. Stop being so emotional about this. You're making a big deal over nothing. You're overreacting. Instead of valuing those insights for what they are, we index way too heavily on sort of logic being right, or we cast all women as overly emotional, right? And then there's also this idea, and we see this with teen girls, perfectionism and just the high standards that young girls put on themselves by their teen years. The stat is something like 45% of young girls say it's not okay. It's not acceptable to fail. And so there is this the striving side for them, the ambition side can become really unbalanced in that they feel like they have to prove themselves through their accomplishments, for example. Now with men on the other side, you have toxic masculinity, which says it's not okay to be sensitive. As a man, you don't have feelings and don't be emotional. You're a crybaby, toughen up. And that for many men is completely invalidating, right? They're not, it's not permissible for them to be in touch with that side of themselves. And so many sensitive men push that underground. They don't show it. Luckily, I think that's starting to change as we're having more open conversations about this, but it can lead a lot of sensitive men to really feel like they have to wear a mask and not be able to be their true selves at work. And that's exactly where we're taking this, right? Because our audience tends to be leaders in organizations ranging from 500 employees to 50,000 employees. And you know, this idea of a sensitive striver, somebody who is maybe a little bit of a perfectionist and wanting to do more or try to be less hard on themselves, or they're responding emotionally the way that you said, they're facing burnout, they're depleted. You mentioned earlier, manifesting in a physical format. Coming at this from a leadership standpoint, it can be difficult to know who falls into this category and who doesn't. Let's back up a little bit and talk about what is a sensitive striver by definition. And, yeah. and two, how as a leader, can you start to identify these individuals within your organization to create more space for them to thrive and, and really leverage their traits to be advantageous for the organization? Sure. So a sensitive striver, simply put, is a high achiever who is also highly sensitive. So they are someone who thinks and feels everything more deeply than most people and also is very driven to succeed, which means they have a high drive to make an impact, but they may also put a lot of pressure on themselves to do that. So these people, as I said, it's about 15 to 20% of the population that has that trait difference that leads to picking up on more stimuli, both within and around them. So what's going on inside for them, they are more aware, but also what is going on externally. So they are highly attuned to their own emotions, as well as those of other people. They are deeply caring. They give their 100% to their work, all with an inner world on overdrive. 
And sensitivity is a tremendous strength in the workplace in terms of their perceptiveness, ability to spot opportunities that others miss, be very deliberate and thoughtful with their words or navigating conflict. But at the same time, if not managed or not understood correctly, being a sensitive striver can also make you more susceptible to stress, overwhelm, overthinking. Okay. And as a leader looking for individuals in this organization, I can see a temptation. And you even mentioned this in the book around thinking, oh, so it's like the introverts who are Mm -hmm. more likely to be a sensitive striver. Can you touch on that? Yeah. And that's a very common misconception that introversion sensitivity are the same things. They often go hand in hand because about 70% of people who are sensitive are also introverted, whereas there's 30% who are extroverts. So sensitivity is more like a stance, your responsiveness towards the world where introversion, extroversion is where and how you get your energy. So introverts, get their energy from alone time, being able to be by themselves. Extroverts get it from being around people, but you can be highly sensitive in both and high achieving in both. So it's like square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square kind of a thing. (laughs) But you asked about a few ways you can identify these people. And I do have a assessment in the book, but some things to look for is that This person experiences emotions to an unusual level of depth and complexity. They are someone who has a strong desire to exceed expectations in everything that they do. So if you have someone who is always driven, ambitious, wanting to take on more, do the best on their performance reviews, deliver the highest quality work, you might have a sensitive shriver on your hands. If you have someone who needs time to think through decisions before they act, so they're very reflective. They need to contemplate. They need time to process. So when put on the spot, they may have trouble coming up with the idea immediately, or they may be more quiet in meetings, not because they're introverted, but because they're processing and trying to make sense and synthesize all of the information. They may also be really hard on themselves. So sensitive strivers tend to have a very strong inner critic because they are so self-aware and they have such high expectations of themselves, they may beat themselves up and think that nothing is ever good enough. And so you may have someone on your team who the best is not good enough for them. They have a keen ability to sense other people's feelings. So this is the person that can come to you and say, I think something is off with this client. I can sense it. And you may have to probe them to say what led you to think that and drill into their reasoning. But these are people who have such tremendous processing ability that they are picking up on those nuances that other people miss. They are the person who many times has trouble setting boundaries or says yes too much. So they may volunteer themselves for more tasks. They may be the one putting in a lot of overtime and answering emails late at night because they want to be helpful and responsive to other people. But that means they can very easily burn out, which is extremely important to retention and the health of your team. So on the one hand, they are ideal employee, right? This is the Mm -hmm. ideal leader that you want in your organization or ideal team member on the one hand, right? It's they're eager to make a difference. They're eager to make a big impact. They're not going to be lazy or disengaged. They're going to show up, but the risk is that they show up too much and to the point where it's not sustainable. That's a perfect way to put it. 
And so as you know, I think this can be a challenge, right? You have your star performer who's just absolutely crushing it. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, it's easy to think, wow, I don't need to spend as much time on this person because they're just rocking it. And I can lean back and, and maybe focus on the other people who seem to need more attention. And this is where we see burnout happen, right? We see these individuals who are just, they're go, go, go. And if you aren't paying close enough attention, they end up being the individuals who need the most support, right? Because they'll get to that point where they're completely burning out. What are some signs around this individual is starting to become less balanced than they were before and are leaning toward the point of burnout? Where should we be looking as leaders? Yeah, I think especially if you've been working with someone for a while, you'll be able to notice a shift from their baseline. But specifically for sensitive strivers, emotional reactivity is a big part of it. So if you're noticing that this person is more easily annoyed or hurt by situations, or if something changes very quickly and that's very upsetting for them, that may be a sign that not that they don't have the capacity, that not that they don't have resilience, but that their mental and emotional reserves are so run down or so depleted that it is leading to that. They're almost acting from a fear state at all times. If you notice someone starting to pull back, so sensitive strivers, and we can talk more about this, but do have some struggles around self-advocacy and speaking up in general. But if you are noticing someone has really pulled back and is not contributing to the extent that they were, that's a good sign that the person may also be really caught up in self-doubt. And that tends to happen when sensitive strivers are burning out that really the negative thinking and the imposter syndrome takes hold. It can also look like overcompensation. So again, if you notice that this person is is never offline, has no time for heads down work, is in tons of different meetings to the point where you can't even get on their calendar, that's a good sign that they're people-pleasing, they're involved in way too much and extending themselves far too much. We could spend hours discussing all of this, and I absolutely love the topic. You mentioned a couple different topics that I'd like to dive into a little bit more, specifically around boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned they're committing too much. They're having issues around boundaries. They're diving in. You can't even get on their own calendar and you're their boss or even their boss's boss, right? We see this happen. So in the book and in your experience, you approach boundaries from a couple different directions. So you What types of boundaries are there and where do sensitive strivers struggle the most here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think this is an important conversation because we're talking more about boundaries now that everything is so integrated and there's no separation between work and life, but we tend to talk about boundaries very vaguely. And so in the book, I go through understanding the different types or degrees of health of boundaries. So on one extreme, you have very rigid boundaries. And you want to think of that as if you had a brick wall (laughs) where you are so rigid about standards or expectations or limits that you have that nothing can get through. You're completely inflexible. Something has to be your way or else nothing. And so that might be complete closed-mindedness to an idea, for example, would be a very rigid boundary or not wanting to budge on collaboration with another team. You, You just want it this way and that's it. And you're not being flexible. So that's one extreme. On the very other extreme, we have porous boundaries. This tends to be where sensitive strivers struggle the most, 
which if having a brick wall is the rigid end, then the porous end is kind of having a fence with gigantic gaps in it that anything can get through. And porous boundaries are when you don't have enough self-respect. And so you are overly accommodating. You will bend over backwards to make someone else happy. You're very leaky with your boundaries. You'll set a limit, but then you'll backtrack on it. And so this is where sensitive strivers (laughs) really struggle. So maybe they'll say, my boundaries to end work at 6 p.m. But then you are at the dinner table answering emails, or you agree to take a meeting at 6.30, or you are allowing yourself to just be consumed about thinking about work all night long, for example. Those would be porous boundaries. And then in the middle, we have healthy boundaries, which imagine that like a well-structured fence that you have slats. You can see through it a little bit, but only the things you want to let in can get in and things can get out. And so healthy boundaries is that, you know, happy medium of setting limits, adhering to them, but being flexible where you need to. And as leaders, this can be tough if we have somebody who is willing to always, like you mentioned, it's the the person who's on the poorest side of setting boundaries where they are running into troubles for themselves and they might be leading to burnout. But on our end, as a leader, we're seeing this person who is always willing to pitch in, always willing to do something. and as needed. And I I think that this is becoming more and more of a problem that leaders are facing and and paying attention to, right? It's so nice to have a team player. And I think often we use that word team player as an excuse for pushing people to break their own boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so we are, Marla, we're seeing more and more and more and more of our partners at the leadership level saying, I actually need my team to create better boundaries Mm -hmm. so that they can stay energized and motivated and focused. Yeah. And they can lead their teams by example. And Mm -hmm. now we have this recipe for not burning out. Where do you see leaders being most effective in encouraging an individual with this challenge to help them set better boundaries? How can they start to support without breaking the boundaries when it's tempting to break boundaries? Mm -hmm. First, I think it comes from leaders themselves. As a leader of any team or an organization, you are looked to for setting the norms of behavior. And so it has to start with you by clearly defining your own boundaries and being a model of that behavior. Because if you are responding to emails on weekends or just not taking vacation at all, people are going to implicitly assume that's the standard for good behavior. And so if you want your team to have great boundaries, then you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. And I don't think many people think about that. And so that's where I always say you have to start is that you have to model good work-life balance and boundaries for yourself so that your team knows it's okay to even set those limits. Or for example, to add hours that you're available to your email signature to be sharing with your team that these are certain expectations I have for how you give feedback to me or how to approach me about something. All of that really matters as as good modeling. It's a really great reminder and one that I will admit I'm terrible at as a founder of a company, right? Because for me, my boundaries are finding the balance in a really flexible way, right? I might be unavailable from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., but then available in the middle of the night, sending Mm -hmm. emails scheduled, right? This is why Gmail invented scheduling. But I think the moral of the story here is to figure out what your boundaries are Mm -hmm. and help your team members figure out what theirs are and communicate around that. 
until we can help each other actually maintain those boundaries. So boundaries, that's really one side of a coin around self-advocacy too, right? In the sense of being able to speak up and say, I really need to keep my boundaries. Where does self-advocacy come up in other parts of, of your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is such a huge part of what I work on with people because as a sensitive shriver, many times your confidence isn't the strongest. And so you don't believe you're worthy of speaking up for yourself. You may be struggling with imposter syndrome and feeling that like asking for help is going to reveal that you don't know what you're talking about or that you haven't done anything great or special because perfectionism tricks you into thinking that nothing you do is is enough. So you have to keep doing more. And so this is a big area I focus on with clients, but specifically to help them stop undermining themselves. So many times we are the ones who are not putting ourselves out there. Or when we share an idea, we will say, oh, this is just a thought I had, but it's probably not a good idea. So you know what? Not even going to bother mentioning it. Or we outsource our thinking where we will consult under the guise of trying to be collaborative and a team player, like you were saying, we'll consult so many other people and stakeholders to get validation for our idea instead of trusting ourselves and our judgment and going for it. So those are a few ways as well as helping people be more assertive in the way that they approach things in the workplace. Yeah, it's all of that comes up with people even outside of this 20% of sensitive strivers, right? Being able to actually speak up on your own behalf. But I can see how it's much more magnified with this audience. You know, to say it again, where can leaders help here? Because we want individuals to speak up. And I, I think it can be a really big frustration among many leaders. We hear this all the time. I need my team to share that great idea. I need them to tell me when I'm pushing them too hard. I need them to speak up in a meeting to point out a challenge or an error, right? Mm-hmm. We count on them to do this. And then we get frustrated when they don't. Mm. And yet a lot of this comes back to creating space for them to speak up. So how do you typically recommend leaders provide extra support here? Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say is making the space for it, right? And the opportunities for it. And when I work with leaders on this, because luckily the great thing about working with sensitive strivers is that these are people who want to build more empathetic, human-centered cultures, which is wonderful. So when I'm working with clients, some of the things that have been effective for them is starting meetings with kind of like a celebration thread (laughs) and having everyone go around at the beginning of the meeting to share one win from the past week or something that's gone well. It can be specific to a project, but I had one leader who was really trying to build just more rapport and humanity into his team. And so they could share anything from their personal lives. He wanted them to be bringing more of that into their work. So that works really well to get everyone talking and comfortable about sharing their wins, as does having a celebration channel or a wins channel on your teams or your Slack, for example, where you are leading the way. And I I have one leader who has been doing this really beautifully where she has been popping in to her Slack channel and dropping kudos for people. And now others are picking up on that too. Or she will coach other people to, if someone gives her feedback about, oh, Mike did such a great job on that project. I was really happy to work with him. She will say, you know what? Why don't you put that in the kudos channel? That would be something perfect for that. So really seizing those opportunities 
is fantastic. Setting your team up with skip levels so they can be getting more exposure and getting more comfortable with more of the senior leadership. Because for sensitive strivers, familiarity and a sense of safety and comfort with people is what helps them feel secure speaking up and sharing their ideas. So the more you can be giving them exposure and opportunities to build those relationships, the better. I love all of these. And Marlo, we have a Marlo Moments Slack channel. I love that. For that exact reason, right? It's so much easier to give kudos to somebody else than it is to speak up and give kudos to yourself. And I think adopting some sort of live, let me share this thing that I'm proud of and I worked hard on is so important. Burnout is something that we've talked about a little bit from the beginning of our conversation, but I want to focus on it directly because Like you said, it is such a weird time that we're in right now, setting boundaries while we're working in this remote environment where it can be so easy to be on all the time. And also it makes it difficult to keep those boundaries, but also to advocate for yourself in a time where we're not building that social rapport as as regularly with our peers. In your book, you talk a bit about like rebalancing inner drive mm. and finding like as an individual. And so now you know, I'm assuming all of our leaders here are facing this on some level, right? How do you recommend, well, first of all, what do you mean by inner drive and rebalancing mm-hmm. that inner drive? But then how can you start to become more aware for yourself and for others to offset that imbalance? Yeah. yeah. And inner drive is one of the six strive qualities I go over in the book, which are the six core qualities of being a sensitive striver. And I wanted to offer that because it can feel like a very confusing mix of traits. And so the framework really helps break down what are the different dimensions of it. One of which is inner drive, which is essentially the strive side of being a sensitive striver. And it is that plus side, the the drive to do better, make an impact, constantly be learning, growing, reaching for more. But when it's unbalanced, it can lead to overworking, really chasing external validation, promotions, accolades, approval, that overcompensation, taking on more goals than you can handle to the point of exhaustion. So that's what unbalanced inner drive looks like. Now, some ways to think through how to balance it more effectively, especially if you are a leader, really encouraging your team to drive towards letting the most important things be the most important things. So we as leaders need to be helping our teams prioritize and really guiding them in terms of here's what is most important right now. And I am giving you full permission to deprioritize these things or delegate them in these ways or eliminate them altogether. because. Without that explicit direction, many times sensitive strivers will just try to do it all to make everyone happy or to, again, prove that they're adequate enough for their role. So really creating that space for prioritization, communicating around what should I actually be focusing my time on? And then that word permission, Mm -hmm. it's something that comes up so often, right? We're seeking permission to let go of things, or we just assume we don't have permission to let go of things. So as leaders, you're recommending give people that permission to set something Mm -hmm. down and come back to it or delegate it or whatnot. Yeah. And I think another important point is connecting people's work to something meaningful. I mean, it's good practice no matter what, but especially for sensitive strivers, we're deep thinkers and feelers. So we always go beyond the surface level and we want to know how we're making a difference, how we're impacting people, why this matters. We need a lot of context for why we're doing something And so whenever you are presenting your team member, 
who you believe to be a sensitive striver with an assignment, you want to make sure you're giving them an understanding of why this needs to happen, what's the background, and most importantly, what's the purpose and making sure that you're tying it to what their personal motivations tend to be. Before our conversation started recording, we talked a little bit about how I felt that this is a book that can resonate with so many people, whether they identify as a sensitive striver themselves or they they think that they might be somewhere on the spectrum. And so as leaders, though, it can be a little bit intimidating to recommend a book to somebody and say, hey, I really think you should read this because I think this is right up your alley. How do you recommend someone share a resource of you know, like your book with a potentially sensitive striver, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I always get the question of, should I tell my boss or the people in my life that I'm a sensitive striver? And my answer is you always have to do what's right for you. But every instance of someone in my community or a client who has shared it with the people in their lives, it's incredibly powerful and transformational. It helps pieces click in. It helps people understand them better and and manage them more effectively. So definitely be empowered to do that. And I would say that when handing this book to someone to affirm how you have seen these qualities be such a tremendous gift and talent for them and say, I want to see you be your best. And I think this will help you get there. That's so well put. And I can't wait to recommend this book to a lot of people. In addition to your book, what other resources do you typically recommend for your sensitive strivers? Two assessments that I recommend for a lot of people. As you can tell, I'm kind of a personality geek, but I love the DISC assessment, D-I-S-C, which helps you identify your communication style. And so sensitive strivers tend to have generally fall into a certain communication style. They tend to be more SCs. So they tend to be very steady and very conscientious in how they communicate. And they tend to have a lot of trouble dealing with Ds, very dominant types. And so really going through the disc or having your team go through the disc can be really insightful in terms of understanding different styles of communication, how to work with people more effectively. So that would be one. And then the second is the Colby assessment, K-O-L-B-E. And that looks at the way you take action. And so some people tend to be quick starts in how they take action. So they're very, they come up with ideas quickly. They like to execute quickly, but they may struggle with the follow-through or they're not the best person for the follow-through. And whereas other people, for myself, I tend to be someone who's extremely high on follow-through. I'm not as great as a quick start. And so even just knowing these different styles really helps you not only understand yourself more effectively, but really manage your team and match people to the right collaborations and assignments based on where they'll have the greatest success. Excellent. I'm on the other side. I'm more of a quick start and have a hard time following through. That's why I surround myself with an amazing team. All right. So this has been incredibly enlightening. And I hope that our our listeners find it as valuable as I have listening to, you know, the different types of support that we can provide the people in our lives who are sensitive strivers or ourselves. I think so many people reading this book will self-identify with, if not all of it, at least part of it, right? And the resources that you share are fabulous. So Melody, before we wrap up, where can our listeners find you and where can they buy this incredible book? Thank you so much. You can find me at melodywilding.com and you can find the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. Yeah, you can check it out there. Awesome. And I saw that there's uh, early access to Audible. Is that right? 
There is. Yes, you can pre-order it on Audible as well. Cool. All right. So Melody Wilding, thank you so much for being here. Your book is Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. I really appreciate you making the time to speak with our listeners. So much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 